0: Welcome to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love, starting with San Francisco. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today we meet chef Sean Napady, who together with his business partner, Sean Camacho, opened Pubechu, San Francisco's first and only Guamanian restaurant. Napady and Camacho both arrived to California from their home in Guam to attend school and soon had the opportunity to transform what was once Roxy's Cafe into their debut restaurant. As the only place offering Guam cuisine in the city that houses more restaurants per capita than any other in the U.S., Napati and Camacho are committed to representing the best Guam has to offer. And they're obsessed with uncovering the origins of the flavors found in the food they grew up eating.
1: The native, the Chamorro people, you know, no one ever recorded what they were doing or what they were cooking. And Magellan introduced uh, religion, spices, and then the war happened. Through that, the uh, Japanese took over the island. And then after that was, you know, America. So if I were to explain it, heavy Spanish flavors, Japanese influence through the eyes of Americano.
0: Let's have a listen. So we are here with Chef Sean Napati at Bechu. Thanks Uh for joining us.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me.
0: In your own words, can you describe what Bechu is?
1: First off, it's a team effort. It, it, it takes a team, to, you know, to build Prebetchew. It's our it's our home away from home. You know, it's like, it's hard to consider it as a job. Yeah, it's it's our home away from home. Uh, we feel, I don't know, I feel really comfortable here. I don't feel like I'm being rushed. I just, like you would just say, just like do what you want to do, I guess. But mm-hmm. in Prebetchew way, or in the Guam style.
0: When you say our home, who's, who's home?
1: Um, I just pertain to me and Sean, my mm-hmm. partner Sean. And um, you know the people from Guam, like, cause this is this is the only restaurant in the city, or almost the Bay Area, like the entire Bay Area. But there's some small ones like in Vallejo or whatnot. But this is we consider like, you know, just living here 12 years is just there was no tomorrow restaurant that we could go to. You know, especially me being in the industry, or we're all in the industry, and not, you know. Our friends asking us, "Hey, where's a tomorrow? F- you know, where's a restaurant of your cuisine?" We're like, "There's none."
0: Yeah, what's tomorrow?
1: Tomorrow is the uh, the people, the people of Guam, the mm-hmm. the native people. Tomorrow mm-hmm. is also the culture um, of the island of Guam and the people.
0: So it sounds like um, Perpetu is a little bit more than a restaurant. It's
1: yeah, it's. Um, I almost the dream is almost to make it a institution, if you will, for Guam, mm-hmm. Guam style cuisine. You know, mm-hmm. just because people get misdirected when they you know interpret Chamorro food. Mm-hmm. Um, people normally label it as a barbecue and red rice. Uh-huh. That's the first perception of Guamanian food, and it just it kind of bothered me just because there's more than uh, red rice and barbecue so here at Probechi we don't really do barbecue mm-hmm. I think we just do that to piss people off <laughs> and to Joe you know, just to like kind of show them you know there's more to Chamorro food than red rice and barbecue you know
0: why do you think it is that well first I don't think that many people even know what Guamanian food that's true is at all so why do you think it is that this is the only Guamanian restaurant in San Francisco in the Bay Area and Why do you think for those who do have an idea of Guamanian food, why do you think that they think it's just barbecue and red rice?
1: So we'll start the red rice barbecue. It's the food that people do like it's fiesta food, kind of bringing people together like that's Mm -hmm. kind of fiesta. Mm -hmm. But then that's like it's very comforting. That's I think that's the word right there. It's very comforting. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's really tasty, but it's it's like ingrained like our diet our staple is just like meat, rice and very little vegetables Uh so that's why I say like people like oh you got a good you know oh you're from Guam blah 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 you guys got good red rice and barbecue yeah yeah and that's I mean I I I can think it involves that I'm not the only one that kind of hears that kind of thing you know but that's what kind of made me even push more to open this restaurant and to show you know the world that there's more than you know, the, or that Guam has an interesting cuisine, and um, that we have a lot to offer and to showcase.
0: So maybe we can jump into the food. So, so how how would you describe the food? So what what is it aside from the the misperception of red, red rice, rice and barbecue? And, yeah, red rice and barbecue.
1: Um, so you just gotta take it back to the colonial days. Guam has been through these different colonial times. Oh, we'll start off with the native the Chamorro people you know no one ever recorded what they were doing or what they were cooking until the Spaniards came which we call the new world right Mm -hmm. and that was through um, Fernand Magellan Magellan introduced uh, religion different techniques
0: different cooking techniques different
1: cooking techniques Mm -hmm. traded spices Mm -hmm. you know uh, introduced a lot of the um, you know the Spaniard made a big influence on the island so it's like just taking over the um, Spanish time and then the war happened you know Um through that the uh, Japanese took over the island mm-hmm. so at one or three or four years um, Guam was just under Japanese occupancy mm-hmm. so that's I mean you know, people were like in um, camps like wow. they had they couldn't speak the Chamorro language uh, they had to learn Japanese so that was a big like punch to the culture the people there and then after that was you know america that's when we got introduced with all these americanized like canned foods like spam that's Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. spam is so huge corned beef Mm -hmm. but then at one point there was like germans there but they weren't there so long Mm -hmm. so you just take the Spaniards, spanish japanese and american so those are like the three like huge influence on the island Mm -hmm. and its cuisine so everything we just everything just kind of like you know, adapts mm-hmm. through, through time and and through food. So if I were to explain it, uh, Guam would be like a um, Spanish heavy Spanish flavors, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese influence through the eyes of Americano. You mm-hmm. know, so that's what that's what we kind <laughs> I like of. That. I mean, that's our like, our niche. You know, like you wouldn't. Inf- I mean, the closest thing would be like Peru. You know, Peru has a big Latin flavor profile and then they have the Japanese influence so it's kind of like that but then we have that American kind of take that's me describing our food through pastime, you know through through our history and what the island's seen and gone through right and what we were raised on like we I wasn't there in that those times you know I just kind of (laughs) as me just like (laughs) yeah just me like kind of cooking I, I kind of like see it you know I you know you we studied like when Ferdinand Magellan arrived, and then the Japanese, you know, going through school, and they're like, and then now that we're older, like that makes so much sense, you know, on why we use this dish, why yeah. we use a choti, why we use a turmeric, you know, like how did these, how did all of these spices get to Guam, you know, and it was through that big trade between like India, because Guam was like a stop, so they were just like trade off spices for alcohol or whatnot. That's, I think that's the picture that we look at here at Perbetuta to make our menu, you know, to design our menu. We go back in to time, and then we kind of, like, put them together. Yeah. Taking a classic dish, a super classic dish, but we know it tastes horrible because <laughs> it, there wasn't much technique. But now now there's so much technique, we just take that classic and then we just put a super, like, modern spin, you know? Mm-hmm. For example, it's, like, um, this thing called matizas. It's a, like, chicken sausage or a farce. Traditionally, they would just stuff it in its own neck, um, grind chicken, stuff it in its own neck, mix it with, like, mint and seasonings. But here, we we kind of take a different step. We, like, add nuances to to that dish, like grind some of the neck bones to give it that extra kind of, Earthy ch- poultry flavor. Mm-hmm. Instead of using the chicken neck, we'll wrap it in banana leaf to give it that kind of really earthy flavor, mm-hmm. and then we'll steam it really hard in coconut milk. Hmm. So we just take a lot, you know, just taking that classic and then kind of modernizing it, if you will.
0: I think it's really impressive that you're so aware of the origins of a lot of the flavors and spices. I mean, you have to,
1: you know, because like. We'll just be lost yeah it'd be like lost cooking and it just sucks when you don't have a direction or
0: yeah the roots
1: yeah the roots like, that's a good word but like you wouldn't have like you couldn't stand behind that dish that you made you know mm-hmm. and like for every dish that we make especially on the tasting menu like we can stand behind it and like what gave us that inspiration you know and yeah. how did we come about doing that dish
0: you mentioned that the chamoru original kind of ingredients and in food was heavy um meat and um, seafood seafood but no one really recorded
1: rice. what they you know they're just starting like now people are just starting to like figure out just by finding artifacts and you know putting things together you know
0: wow okay
1: so we're almost there yeah. On finding out what the actual Chamorro people were eating, what they were, Bef- their pre-magellan life. Pre-Magellan yeah, exactly. yeah. Like a few months ago, they found a bunch of artifacts, like in this beach in Guam. Um, wow. In Matidian, yeah. And Might I think, that up. yeah, <laughs> I think after, I think this is a big stepping stone on finding how they, how they eat, what's their diet, what do they use, you know, what just the way of life and to be really put a stamp on it and maybe one day help on a cookbook you know help us that's a good chunk of information that we could use or the people of guam and the chamorro people can use you
0: know? yeah were you raised in guam yourself
1: yes my partner and i were born and raised in guam went to school graduated and then we just both moved out here for school he went for he went for college and then i just came out here for cooking school culinary school at the old CCA
0: when did you first decide to go to cooking school were you already in f- into food when you were in Guam before just you came yeah here?
1: growing growing up in Guam is just like you're surrounded with it you know like everything surrounds like a party I, I don't <laughs> like calling it a party it's like some kind of event you know
0: celebration e-
1: celebration either yeah. either is good or bad you know from funerals to birthday parties to christening's birthday parties and everything there's all you know there's a joke that uh, people in guam always find an excuse to throw a party or a celebration so we're always surrounded by them as a little kid you're in charge of like cleaning inside the house and then as you grow older you get to do more of the manly stuff you know as you grow older you get to like do more of the manly stuff, like kill the pig, or just start doing the actual cooking, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's the stage I'm at, where I have to (laughs) do all that, you know, like the cooking, you know, and not just help clean, you know, or, you know, put up the canopy or whatnot.
0: So- um, Make the drinks cold. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about what's considered manly versus, like, what are traditionally more female roles in a typical Guamanian household? Because it sounds like almost the men are responsible for cooking.
1: Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, it's like outside and inside, you Got know, it. the ladies do the inside job, which, which is like also, I mean, a bunch of cooking, mm-hmm. but the the guys get like, I'm talking like 10, 12 or like. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like cleaning of the the pig, that'll be a big one. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the days I remember, like, there'll be, you know, oh, we're killing the pig today for the party tonight. All the uncles and, you know, all your cousins just come and just hang out, you know, (laughs) but you don't just hang out. Your your dad's and your uncle's put you to work. Right, right. Either to do whatever, get the water hot or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then you pour the water on the pig and you start taking that hair off and you just cover it with hair. So those are like (laughs) the man, you know, more of the manly things. And, you know, the females are inside the house or, you know, or the outside kitchen preparing, you know, Mm -hmm. dishes and whatnot.
0: Is that really not that different from sort of traditional gender roles in in Western culture, too? So that's interesting. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it, it sounds like there's just a lot of community. There is, there is
1: it's it's big i mean i hate to say it, it's kind of like dying like when you know when families kind of like really get together because it's just like we're we're, diff- we're living in a different world now like everything's so easy access you know mm-hmm. like call it up order it you know or play you know
0: that ha- that's happening in guam now
1: well i'm starting to see it yeah, yeah.
0: like
1: i wouldn't use the word lazy Mm-hmm. You know, people probably just like, don't have time. Uh, just so busy, has busy schedules, you know, so much going on. So I'll speak for my family. Like we're not, we don't do like how we used to, like mm-hmm. gather everybody. And, you know, we do all the cooking ourselves, you know, we won't bother, you know, won't cater anything or mm-hmm. so we're just, I don't, I, I don't see it as much mm-hmm. as I used to when I was a kid, you know, a, a youngster
0: and do you go back frequently
1: yeah we go back once a year mm-hmm. um, and we do we do a pop up in guam
0: oh cool so what we
1: do we just bring like cool uh, bay area veg you know like mm-hmm. vegetables and produce how um, do you get
0: that from here to guam? it's
1: it's a us territory so as long as all this <laughs> okay. as long as it stays <laughs> in the us territory the territory yeah. so it can come from san francisco or Petaluma to hawaii yeah. and then guam Wow. As long as it doesn't touch international land or whatnot, it's considered still United States. I guess it's It's like if I were to bring it all the way down to San Diego. Yeah.
0: Right, right, right. I guess. um, uh, all
1: all let me, let me tell you this all the produce mm-hmm. and majority come from California to Guam it's right. so sad i mean there's people that are making moves on like you know farm to table kind of movement we're just starting to get there and we're just starting the wheels are starting to turn but in guam it's like majority of the produce take 2 weeks to come to guam in a container wow so by the time it gets to guam it's, it's not, almost shit you yeah. know and it just like kills it it kind of kills me when I see it. At the mm-hmm. Produce, you're like, look at that cilantro. It's so tough, but you know, it's the new generation that are starting to get that the the wheels moving with that farm to table. And I, we saw it last year. There, we're we're going somewhere. There's a movement, and that's a good movement that we're seeing. People are just are starting to grasp it, like. Using local, you know, ingredients. It's good, you Cause, know.
0: Because I imagine there's a lot of great tropical yeah. vegetables that yeah. organically, mm-hmm. naturally grow there. But so. the thing
1: is, Guam has gets so many storms, typhoons. I kind of feel sorry for these farmers. You know, it's like yeah. they spend like they they work so hard, four months, five months to get like their crops going. Their crops are ready. They're about to like put it down, but then the storm comes and just like kills it.
0: Oh, that's awful. It is awful,
1: and it's. It's a battle. It's like a catch-22, you know. You grow these beautiful produce, but then you have, like, this storm that's coming in. We've been getting a storm, like, every year. Yeah. If not, like, back-to-back, you know. So it's, like, it's hard. It's really hard. And I know there's a group in Guam that are starting to do, like, hydroponic. I mean, that's a good, that's a, you know, better step than...
0: Because it's protected. Yeah, two weeks
1: in the container.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to ask how like a cilantro would grow um, there. I don't really know anything about growing cilantro, but I would guess. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense.
1: Controlled environment. Yeah. And I think people are starting to invest in that.
0: This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Chef Sean Napati of Pribichu. When was the, when did you realize that you actually wanted to cook for a living yourself?
1: Um, honestly, like right out of high school. Yeah? I didn't, I didn't get scouted for baseball. Were um, you playing baseball in high school? Yeah, baseball? I was playing baseball in high school. Uh, I didn't get scouted. Um, and then I tried to be like a professional bodyboarder. So me and wow, my friends cool. would like go out and make videos. Uh-huh. No, Didn't <laughs> no, no one called back. So I was like, what am I gonna do? I love to cook, you know? Like, you know, my dad was a really good cook. My grandma was a really good cook. So I'm like, huh, I think I think I might have something, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me try it out. So then I saw I saw an ad on TV in Guam about the CCA, you know, like I wow. huh. so I did that via from Guam calling out here. And then they're like, Yeah, okay, um, you know, just just sign right here, sign your life away. And yeah. <laughs> uh, owe the rest of your life to us. Um and then so I moved out here. And then the funny thing is, like I didn't you know, I was just straight from Guam. Like, yeah, you'll be living, like, you know, down in the Tenderloin. That sounded cool, Tenderloin. <laughs> You're going to culinary school, Tenderloin. Oh, right. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Sounds
0: like a uh, Yeah, there's
1: a, the tender. you'll be living in the Tenderloin. You'll be staying in a dorm. The federal building's there, city hall, so it's nice and safe. So then that's when I was like, man, this is it. And then my first, like, slap on the ass was, like, when I started at Folie. I had to, you know, adapt adapt with all my colleagues that you know that I graduated with and mm-hmm. that I was going to school with you can't be lazy You gotta mm-hmm. work hard and that's and that's what you know kind of brought me where I'm at that first that first smell in that in that kitchen at La which is like whoa it smells different but really good and super like intense it was just it was a, it was that moment where like wow, these guys are serious. These guys are professional. No one's like horse playing. Everyone's just focused on their job.
0: So how did the idea for Prevetchu come about, and how did it begin?
1: <laughs> um, so it was um, prior to Prevetchu, it was um, Roxy's Cafe. Um, this location. Yeah, this location. Um, I was partnering up with Manny Poyo, who does The Palace and Coco Frio right now. We were just doing pop-ups, and it was just doing 10-course, you know, just just having fun, doing whatever whatever food that we know. Mostly Italian California, you know? And then uh, he had the opportunity to open up the palace. So he I was just left here by myself. I don't know I, I don't know what to do. I never opened a restaurant or, you know, ran a restaurant. I just like we just took that gamble and we stuck with what we know is which is the Chamorro food. Uh, we stuck with our you know, our culture on being hospitable and, you know, making people feel warm. So like do you I so Sean's like, we can do this, you know, right. are you, are you ready for this? So yeah, in like February in 2000, 2013, uh, we had the opportunity to take over uh, Roxy's Cafe. So we did and we changed the name to Prebetchu, mm-hmm. changed the whole concept. We redid the whole inside and just made it our home, you know, made it our home away from home. Um, got comfortable with that and then the rest is history and here we are.
0: Napati mentioned that the opportunity to interview with Menu Stories was a highlight of his career so far. Very sweet of you, Chef. So I asked him again, when did you first feel like you were onto something with Prubetu?
1: we think we made it is when michael bauer came here and yeah he was somebody us. to get it i mean <laughs> it's like holy shit michael bauer <laughs> wrote guam and wrote tomorrow on yeah you and know? i read that
0: article yeah
1: he wrote it so yeah. that was like huge he never seen that word he never seen that cuisine you know so that was right. kind of like a moment you right. know so then from here on now it's just like just let's just do better you know let's just keep getting better and
0: yeah, he even said um he said something about how everything was was coming together but he was really looking forward to what more you guys were going to bring cuz I think he understood that this was sort of um or uh, your first, yeah, Baby. yeah. It's like you know, this is your first time Infants. with the restaurant, and the mm-hmm. restaurant itself was kind of new, and yeah. so he sort sees potential in that. So I think that's that's got to feel good to hear that coming from. Yeah, him. that
1: that that felt really good. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <"Aw."
0: laughs>
1: <laughs> that was <our> an Oh, <laughs> right.
0: So, what's been the most challenging thing about running your own restaurant?
1: Filling up the restaurant. That's it. The food, everything, service. I think will do itself, but. Getting people in the doors, getting people to know Guam food, or you know, mm-hmm. and not like oh I don't know it, Let's skip that. And that's that's our challenge right now. Is
0: yeah, because getting is the more only of um yeah exactly. and restaurants, so people mm-hmm. don't really know exactly. what it is.
1: So that's the hard part. Yeah, and that's really hard right now. It's how to reach out and make a splash, or how to how to make just how to bring people in. I mean, there's all these marketing tools and whatnot, but how would they grasp? Like, oh, I'm craving Guam food right now. Ooh, I'm craving barbecue right now. Ooh, I'm craving sushi. I want there to be like, ooh, I'm craving that Guam food right now. You yeah. know what I mean? It's that's that's another chapter that we're still trying to work on and bring people in and share our culture, and that that's the hard part.
0: So why don't you do a little ad? So what <laughs> what's a, so say, so if for the people of San Francisco? What if they what kind of flavors should they be? thinking about and associating with plum with food?
1: Um earthy, smoky, little sweet, high in acid, fresh.
0: Sounds delicious. What are the most popular dishes in the restaurant?
1: Most popular, I don't like that question. Okay, sorry.
0: <laughs> what would you rather I ask?
1: Um the tasting menu. Okay,
0: what's what's the, the, tasting, what's the menu, tasting
1: menu uh we offer five courses and we we do a lot of we we take that we take five courses so we have fun in these five courses so we take a lot of the super classic dishes and we modernize it we we have fun with it you know mm-hmm. as long as it has all these elements of that classic dish how can we, and then we just add like little pizzazz you know we add a little perfume I don't know nice cologne (laughs) that shit would be good you know
0: what are the what's on the tasting menu right now
1: right now we're doing a uh, warm shrimp brodo with uh, pickled mussels and sunchokes so that's so that shrimp derives from a shrimp kudu which is like a shrimp soup but we just like keep keep that brothy element keep that soup element in your mind but then we just add mussels nice pickled mussels for like this acid earthy sunchokes, fried sunchokes for some texture, but then we take the pills, we took the whole shrimp pills, and we just blend it all past it, and it gives it like a nice texture, and we and we add coconut milk, so we still keep all those, the the flavor profile, and what the dish is, but then we just kind of make it look pretty, that, that's another one, um, the matzizas is on the tasty menus, that's the chicken, the chicken farce, or chicken sausage that Traditionally, it's wrapped in its own neck.
0: Right. And but it's that's when leaf. we stuff...
1: I mean, we wrap it in banana leaf. And we steam it in coconut milk. And we stuff it with, like, mint, fresh vegetables, um, sweet peppers, you know? Another word we like to say is, like, Guam-style cuisine through the lens of California. Because we use California... Um, ingredients. Ingredients. And produce. Yeah. And that's what, like, gives me another platform to add on to a dish, you know, is how can we add these awesome ingredients and produce to... This classic dish, yeah, you know, and that's where it just all goes back to like how to how to match food or like how to pair food, you know, with different different ingredients, putting different ingredients together and making like harmonize, you know.
0: So, last question: What's the most rewarding thing about having come how far you've come so far with Perbitu?
1: Well, having a kid and owning a restaurant, <laughs> I think mean, that's it, you know i just had a kid uh, two months ago
0: congratulations
1: thank you (laughs) so that's just you
0: you have a totally free schedule no pressure (laughs) oh
1: yeah i wish (laughs) you know honestly making my family happy that's what it all comes down to making my island proud doing it for my people (laughs) putting us out there you know putting us out on the map because Bowers has never heard of Guam food. So it's like, that's one of the things that putting Guam on the map on the food world.
0: Yeah, I think you're on your way.
1: Thank you. And, you know, one day have Michelin go to Guam and check out Guam food Michelin stars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with welcome us today. Welcome. So if you didn't know Guam's complicated culture, history, and flavors before, now you do. Thanks to Sean Camacho and Chef Sean Napady. Prebechu is located on Mission Street in San Francisco's Mission District, just a few doors down from La Taqueria, which we featured on the fourth episode of our podcast. That's it for 2015. We're so grateful for your support and have had the best time getting to know the stories behind the first 18 restaurants featured on Menu Stories so far, along with the organization that supports them all, the Golden Gate Restaurant Association, whom we met in our very first episode. We'll be back in just a few weeks with episode 20, and we'll begin exploring restaurants in Oakland and the surrounding Bay Area, along with more of San Francisco's most culturally significant restaurants. Subscribe to Menu Stories on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. Special thanks to Siska Silatonga, Menu Stories Assistant Editor-Producer, and Patrick Wong, our videographer. I'm your host and producer, Rebecca Goberstein, and until next year, happy holidays, happy new year, and happy eating.